0: so be it, right? In other words, God, whatever you want to be, let it be, Uh, so be it, so amen. All right, shut up, Aaron. All right. I love you, Aaron. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 4. If you're new here, I don't always tease, well, I do tease Aaron a lot, but um, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're continuing in this series called The Favor of God, and this is our third week in this series. And uh, today we're going to talk about what it means to be under attack. Um, And last week I, I had in your notes that living without the favor of God is like taking a trip without a map or supplies. Living without the favor of God is like taking a trip without map or without supplies. In other words, if you don't have God's favor, if you don't have God opening up doors, if you don't have God blessing you, if you don't have God paving the way, that's kind of like taking a trip to Florida, you've never been there, and taking a trip to Florida without a map and without gas money. And if you're walking, that's really a really long trip, right? You don't see it so much today, but in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, there was a lot of hitchhiking, and, and maybe even after World War II, there was a lot of hitchhiking. People who would go out and just put their thumb out, and you would just give them a ride to wherever you're going, and they would catch a ride from there, and. That used to happen. That doesn't happen so much now. And so, you know, living without the favor of God is kind of like taking a trip without knowing how to get there and having any supplies or resources to get there. It's foolish. It makes no sense. And yet, many of us live our lives without asking God for his favor. The last two weeks that I've preached on this, um, and we've talked about the favor of God, so today I really want us to focus on what happens when we pray for God's favor and we've received it? Nehemiah, says was had a broken heart, a, a broken spirit, a humble spirit. He had a broken heart, a humble spirit, and he prayed for God's favor for three to four months. And God answered his prayer. So he prayed for God's favor. He received God's favor. And, uh, and so what happens when all that takes place and then you come under attack? First week, we've seen what it looks like to have that broken heart and humble spirit, praying and fasting and seeking God's favor. And we've seen what favor looks like. In Nehemiah's case, and for you it may be different, but in Nehemiah's case, God's favor was him saying yes to him going. So he gave him the time off, and we're thinking, you know, you're going to rebuild this wall, and we kind of skipped ahead and looked. It took him 52 days to build the wall. So maybe God would give you three months off or six months off. I mean, God, your king, maybe your boss would give you three months off, six months off. No, he gave him 12 years off from being the cupbearer, from being the wine taster. So he's left the king. He's been giving unlimited time to rebuild the wall and set up the government and to rule over Israel or Jerusalem and to help them get the city back in shape. So he's given him time off. He's given him resources. He's given him a letter to uh, to the king, who's got all the the wood and that he needs to rebuild the wall and the stones he needs to rebuild. Basically, he's been given a blank checkbook, a blank check. Here you go, Nehemiah. Whatever you need to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the temple, you and Ezra. Here you go. Go and, and rebuild it. So we see God's favor and resources. We see that God gives favor and authority. God gave Nehemiah the authority to do the task that he was going to do of rebuilding the wall. You can't just walk up and say, hey, I'm bummed out that the, the wall's knocked down. I'm just going to rebuild it. You, you can't do that. There, there's politics involved, right? There, there's things, you, hoops you have to jump through. But he has given a letter of authority from the king that says, Nehemiah is allowed and going to build this wall. So he's been given authority. Also, he's been given protection from the king. The king said, I'm going to give you my bodyguards, and I'm going to give you a small army to go and protect you and to watch over you as you rebuild this this wall. And so God's favor means that he's going to open up doors and allow things to happen in your life so you can accomplish the task that he's laid on your heart. The first week we noticed that Nehemiah was given a burden for the city of Jerusalem because the walls had been torn down for the seven years of captivity And for another 20 to 70 years, depending on the scholars, as the exiles came back and tried to rebuild and get the city back together. So he's got the favor of God. And then last week, we talked about what happens when we start to rebuild this legacy. When he starts to rebuild the wall, what's it look like? What takes place? And three things we noticed last week was whenever you try to fulfill God's vision, opposition will arise. Whenever you try to fulfill God's vision, opposition will arise. God lays it on your heart. He gives you a burden. He gives you a vision. And someone's going to tell you it's a stupid idea. It always happens. Someone's going to tell you you can't pull it off. Someone's going to tell you you ain't good enough. song Fear, He is a Liar? Right? They're going to try to put fear in you. They're going to try and tell you that you're stupid, that you couldn't even graduate from high school. How are you going to build a wall? You couldn't even get a job, good paying job. How are you going to pull this off? You could All you do is taste wine and food for a living. How in the world are you going to build a wall? You're not an engineer. You're not a Right? They're always going to give you opposition. Second thing we learned is after the vision, there needs to be time of examining the task. After God's given you the vision and you, you show up to the work site, the job site, you look at the task, the vision that God's given you, and it has to take time to figure out what that looks like. What's it going to take to pull this off? How am I going to get everybody to join in? It's a monumental task, so it takes time to examine and to find out how you're going to pull off the vision. And the third thing we learned last week is you need to communicate and invite them to join you in the vision. You need to communicate the vision God's given you and then invite them to join you in the vision you ever tried to do a task on your own that you needed multiple, multiple people and you tried to do it on your own and you failed miserably? Nehemiah already knows he's going to build this wall and it's going to take a lot of people to pull it off. I'll talk about this in a second, but the wall is about a mile long. It's about eight feet wide and somewhere between 26 to 30 feet high. Now it's, today it's 40 feet high. So it's It's been rebuilt several times. At the time in Nehemiah, as best I can tell, and this is all guesses because, you know, that's 2,500 years ago. And with excavation and everything, it's hard to tell exactly what the width is and what the distance was. But but as best I can tell by looking, it's a mile long, 8 feet wide, 20-some feet high. It's incredible. It's an incredible task. Incredible feat. That means it's going to take people. (laughs) It is going to take resources. It's going to take a lot to make it happen. So last week, that's what we talked about. And so my prayer for us as a church in 2020 is that God will lead us, that God will provide for us, and that God will unite us together as the family of God, that he will lead us, guide us, and provide for us as the family of God. So in today's passage of scripture in Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll see the opposition, to doing the task that God's placed on your heart. As I said earlier, you're always going to have opposition from somewhere. Opposition may be physical, it may be seen. Opposition may be unseen, it may be spiritual, it may be emotional, it may be mental. It, where the opposition comes from could be either place. Sometimes all of those can be what happens. And in this passage, chapter 4, it means we've skipped chapter 3. And chapter 3 is the passage where it talks about these priests got together and took their family, and they built this section of the wall. So right outside their house, they would take their family and their friends and maybe their servants and those, and then together they would build a section of the wall. And as you read through chapter 3, it tells you this priest and this family built this part of the wall, and this section of the wall was built by this family, and family and this family built this side of the wall, and this family built this side of the wall. And so it just, these portions of the wall were built all by different people working together. There's somewhere around seven gates or entrances, and so those people put those gates and those doors, those big giant wooden gates and doors, they put them back on with the hardware, and and each family was responsible for a section. And it goes through and talks about that, I'm not sure how many watchtowers there were, but now there's 34 watchtowers back then, I don't know how many they had stretched out over a mile, but... They would rebuild these sections of the wall, and watchtowers and, and doors, and they would rebuild these. <clears throat> There's one really interesting verse in chapter 3. It says that this, this family or this clan was to build this section. It says, but the nobles wouldn't do any of the work that the construction leaders told them to do. Interesting, right? Even back then, with, with such a task, there are some people just too good to do the work. Always going to find that no matter what it is. But in chapter 3, as you read through the entire chapter, family after family after family. And one family, they, they took on not only the normal portion of the wall, but they took on 500 yards or 1,500 feet of wall beyond where they were. That's five football fields. Crazy, right? Crazy the amount of wall that they were responsible for and built. So as we get out of chapter 3 and come into chapter 4, we see some things change and start to take place. Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this. When Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Sound familiar? When they showed up in chapter 2, what did Samballot and Tobiah? What did they they say? What did they do? They were angry and incensed, right? They were ticked off that these guys were showing up to rebuild the wall. And now that they're past the stage of talking about it, now that they've actually worked on it and are working on it and actively putting the wall back, chapter 4, verse 1 says that they were angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jew- Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring in stones back to life? From these heaps of rubble, burned as they are. And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at, the, at his side, says, What are you building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. Verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. When Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard and a, a guard by day and night to meet the threat. Verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them, came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Let us pray. Heavenly Fathers, we look in the book of Nehemiah. This story is so incredible. And Father, even though it was 2,500 years ago, there are parts of this story that just are so applicable to our lives today. Fathers, we look at asking for your favor in our lives And, Lord, receiving that favor and seeing you open up doors and and leading us and giving us the path to go. Father, we realize that there are going to be times that we're going to come under attack. Father, I I pray that today will be a day where we'll just think about that and discover how that happens and, more importantly, how to get through those times and how to trust in you and, and never give up when we come under attack. Ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I see when I look at this passage is that when you are working within God's favor, number one, and hopefully we have this on the screen because I do not have my notes. Good. Number one, people will be angry and you will be ridiculed and attacked. People will be angry and you will be ridiculed and attacked. It's going to happen. It's not if it's going to happen. More likely, when is it going to happen? When you are under God's favor and you're working in God's favor, people will be angry, and you will be ridiculed and attacked. Verses 1 to 3, Sanballat and Tobiah and their allies, associates, were angry, it says. It says they were incensed, which means their extreme anger. They were so upset, they, they threatened them when they got there, and they thought that that would be enough to deter them. Remember, in Ezra, they had already started in trying to rebuild the wall, and that got shut down by a group of people who went to King Artaxerxes, and said to him, don't let them do this. They'll rebel against you. And, and so they shut it down one previous time. And so they hoped that, that just trying to scare them and trying to uh, speak to them, that they would be, that would be enough to stop them. But it wasn't enough. He would rallied the troops. He had got them all together, and he told them about the vision. And then he told them the most important part in, in chapter 2. He told them that the hand of my God is upon me. Look, here's what God has done. And all of them kind of looked at that and thought about that and went, whoa. And they all picked up a shovel and they picked up a trowel and they started to rebuild the wall. And so Tobiah and Sanballat are ticked. They're angry. They're infuriated. Their way of life was threatened. Their thoughts were things will never be the same. Their control will be gone and their control will be, is threatened. Ever known anybody like that? When their way of life is threatened and when their control is threatened, and all of a sudden they start to, teeth start to come out, you know? I just want to be honest with you. Nehemiah has poked the bear. You understand? He's poked the bear. He's angered his enemies, the allies, the ones that were trying to hold down the Jewish people, and he's ticked them off. He's poked the bear. They're angry at him. Their way of life has been threatened. They're no longer going to have a say in what happens in the city of Jerusalem. They're no longer going to have a say in what holidays we celebrate and how we act and what's going to take place from here on out. They're going to lose their control, and they're ticked. So they go into bully mode. They go into intimidation mode. Verbal, physical abuse, intimidation, control, manipulation are their mode of operation. Whatever it's going to take to throw them off their game, they're up for it. Whether it's whispering in your ear, they're coming. They're coming. My armies are going to come, and they're going to kill you. You better get off that wall. You better stop right now. And they're talking in their ear, and they're trying to scare them. They're, they're trying to get everybody riled up, and, and, and all around. I mean, you got people working a mile around this, this wall, right? I mean, it's a big wall. There's no numbers that tell us how many people are working on the wall, but you can understand there's around 40,000 Jews who came back from exile at that time, which meant much of the city was still empty, but they have come back, and, And I don't know how many of them are working, but I'm going to tell you, most of them were on the wall working, except for the couple nobles who were too lazy, right? The rest of them are doing the work. And these guys are trying to bully them. They're trying to intimidate them. They're trying to talk behind their back. They're trying to scare them. They're trying to use tactics of fear to scare them. And what's funny is they, they don't really have any power. It's perceived power. It's power they put upon themselves, right? It's, it's, they don't have any real authority. If Artaxerxes says to them, build the wall, they can't say to the king, oh, no, you don't, king, because the king's going to say, kill them. <laughs> the king's going to say, cut their head off. I don't need them. Who are you talking to me? You talking to me? Right? I mean, that's how the king was. Did I yank your chain? Did I rub your lamp? Remember Aladdin, right? Did I give you permission to talk? Maybe it's how, maybe how some of the men acted 80 years ago, I don't know. Um, if I act that way, they're going to smack me upside the head with a rolling pin, right? Did I, did I yank your chain? Did I rub your lamp? Did I ask for your opinion, I mean, that's how the king is going to act if these guys say something to him. If if Tobiah and Sambalat go to the king, Artaxerxes, and says to him, King, what are you doing? He's going to look at them and say, shut up. So they don't have any real power. It's perceived power. Have you ever met a bully who's got no power? And you call him on the carpet, and their knees start to buckle, and they start to shake? I had a guy that was tormenting me when I was in college. (laughs) He happened to be Chardell's ex fiance Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) Now you know where the story's headed, right? He didn't like me. Every night at 4 a.m. when the bars would shut down, I'd get a phone call from him. He's drunk and slurring his speech, and he's threatening me. And and, and it lasted for about a couple months, and I just, it got tired. My roommate would look at me and say, dude, would you do something? He's driving me crazy because... We were sharing we, in a two-bedroom apartment. There's three of us, and so two of us were sharing a, the king size room or whatever. And so, you know, his bed's on that side, my bed's on this side. But the phone would ring in the middle of us, and he's like, dude, would you do something? So one night, he calls at 4 a.m. His name was Joe. And Joe, by the way, Joe was big. He was he was heftier than I. I weighed 140 pounds when I met Shardell. I'm, <laughs> I'm quite a bit over that now. But when I met Shardell, I was a skinny little boy. I weighed 140 pounds, and, and he was a big boy. He was... He was six foot and two twenty or something. is about what I am now. He was bigger than me, and uh, and so his name was Joe. And I said, uh, he said, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick your rear end and I don't remember exactly what he said. He threatened me and all that stuff, and I, I just got t- I knew he was bullying. I just got tired of it, and so I started to mock him. I said, Joey, Joey, you wanna go and play? Come on, Joey. You wanna fight? Come on, Joey. I'll take you on. I'm sick and tired. Ty- you you you're a sissy. Come on, dude. Let's let's do this. Meet at the park Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock. You better be there, you coward. I'm going to knock your head off. And I hung up the phone and said, I ain't going there no matter what. I ain't, it ain't happening, right? But I knew he was a bully and I was hoping that my bluff would take his bluff and we would stop. I never got any more phone calls. I proposed to Shardell. We got married. It was about nine months later and I'd never heard from him. I, I wanted to send him an invitation because the wedding was in Ohio, right? If it had been in Tulsa, I wouldn't have sent him an invitation. But I wanted to send him an invitation because I thought, you know, ain't no way he's coming to Ohio to break up my wedding. And then my, my in-laws were like, you better not. He might be stupid enough. I said, okay, I won't do that. Right? But I wanted I just wanted to, you know, I got the girl. You didn't, you know, and I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to tweak him, right? Because he's being a bully. He had no authority. Matter of fact, he was abusive to Chardell, and I had stepped in and was you know, in Chardell's eyes, my love for her and my caring for her, she had no desire to ever be with the guy. She had already, in her mind, broke it off, and, and it, was, it was over. It had been over for months, but he was hanging on, right? You know how that gets, and he's bullying, and he's doing all this stuff. So I, I, I called his bluff. He never called me back, never heard from him. Probably about nine months, a year later, Chardell and I were getting gas at a gas station. He was across the street somewhere. And he sees us. Now it's a busy street. There's four lanes, and it's and he sees us because he sees Chardell's old car, and he sees us, so he knows it's us. And so across the street, once again, here he starts screaming insults at us from across the street. Chardell looks at me and says, "Shut up." I said, "Okay." <laughs> we got in the car and left. Never, never saw him again, right? But that's how bullies are. They they'll, they act like they have power. They act like they have the authority. And they'll try to scare you into submission. It's, in, it's intimidation. It's ridicule. It's mockery. But they don't have any real teeth. You ever been gummed by a dog that ain't got no teeth? They're like, right? They, they can't do anything, right? They, they, it's like they can, can do it, but they can't. And these guys were like that. They're yelling and they're screaming. And here's what you're going to find about their threats. They will mock your faith. As you read that passage, it says that, what are they going to do? Build this by offering a few sacrifices to God? So they start to mock their faith. You're going to find that bullies are going to mock your faith, that those attacking you will mock your faith. They will mock your strength and ability. Remember when it says, are those feeble Jews... Gonna put this wall back together? Feeble? Not put my pants one leg at a time just like you, Tobias and Ballot. What do you mean feeble? I got a try one hand, later on we see you got a spear in the other. I got this. Feeble? What are you talking about? But they'll mock you. They'll make fun of you. They'll mock your dedication. Are you really gonna stick with it? It's a big wall. It's gonna get old fast. You sure you're gonna do that? They'll mock your plans. Sam Bell said, well, they finish in a day. This wall's been torn down for 70 years of captivity and another 20 to 70 years as the exiles come back. It's been torn down a long time. Are you going to rebuild this wall in a day? They'll mock your plans. They'll mock your quality of work. They said, can they bring back to life these heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then, then Tobiah, he's, this picture is funny. You got Sam Ballas going, you know, doing the bully thing. And you got Tobiah over here beside him. And yeah, if a fox gets up on here and walks on, it's going to fall. I don't know if he sounded like that, right? I don't know if he's a little guy, but he sure sounds like a little guy because he steps out of Sam Ballas' shadow and says, yeah, if a fox gets on that wall, it won't even hold a fox. It's gonna, look, that wall is going to fall down. Now, it's kind of funny because the wall is eight foot wide, and at this time it's around... I don't know, 10 feet high, it's halfway there, right? It's kind of hilarious. It's a mile long. Is it really going to fall down if a fox gets on it? No. But what's he trying to do? Scare you? We sang the song today, Fear is a Liar. What happens when you get afraid? What's fear tell you? That relationship ain't going to work. Your wife's never going to forgive you. Your husband's never going to forgive you. Your boss, he's not gonna give you that promotion. You can't do the job. Who do you think you are? What is it that fear tells you? What's it say to you? You ain't gonna be able to make your house payment. You ain't gonna be able to feed your kids. Remember when you first found out you were with child? If you're a guy, your wife is with child, right? You found out that she's pregnant, and you're going, how am I gonna pay for the food? How are we going to feed this thing? How are we going to, raise, how are we going to pay for schooling and, and cars? And, you know, they're, they're not even born yet, and you're worried about their car when they're 16, right? I mean, you're, how am I going to pay for college? And you come up with all these fears of what's it going to look like? And, and I don't even know how to raise a kid. How am I going to do it? And everyone who's had children look at you and go, dude, it's, it's all right. Now, it's not always easy. Don't misunderstand. It's, it's, it's work. But you got this. I'll help you out. I'll show you. I'll explain. You got this. But what's fear tell you? <laughs> you're going to stink as a father. Dude, you're going to go to change a diaper, and you're going to put it on backwards. Well, some of us do that, right? <laughs> Remember the days of pens and diapers? You're going to do Josh is our first, and we, I was trying to save money so we weren't going to buy Pampers. So we had the cloth diapers, and we were going to. At that time, we had pins. Some of them came with Velcro. I like those Velcro diapers, <laughs> right? But <laughs> we had pins on some of them. You know what? You know what fear tells you? You got to stick the baby. <laughs> He's going to squirm, and you got to stick him. Can you imagine sticking a baby with a pin? Oh, that's brutal. Some of you may have done it. I don't know. I, I I never did. Matter of fact, you learn how to put your hand between the pen and the baby, so that if you do stick, it's you you stick, not the baby. No one tells you that. You figure it out. Or maybe grandma says, don't be stupid. Put your hand in there, right? But fear tells you you can't pull it off. You can't do it. Don't be surprised. Satan will attack you, and it will be physical. It will be mental or maybe spiritual, but don't be shocked. Satan will attack your body. He'll attack your mind. He'll attack your spirit. He may attack all three, he may only attack one. It may be a bully next door or down a city hall or a coworker or a neighbor or a family member. And it may be physical, it may be spiritual, maybe mental. There are gonna be times where the attack comes out of nowhere, where you'll just be sitting there thinking about happy thoughts and all of a sudden, this is crazy. There's been times where I've been sitting with my arm around Chardelle and we're just watching a movie. Or maybe I'm driving in my car and I'm thinking about Chardelle and, and I have this terrible thought. Oh, she's going to die someday. It's got nothing to, she's not sick. Nothing, nothing's happened. But out of the blue, just fear goes, she's going to die. Or, or, or the bad one for, for us, she's going to cheat on you. What do you mean she's going to cheat on me? been married 30 years. She's never cheated on me before. Why is he going to cheat on me? When you get home and you're angry, why are you cheating on me? I ain't cheat on you. I know. But <laughs> what just happened? Fear got it. Fear was, hey, psst, she's going to cheat on you. Hey, she ain't going to cheat on you, but what's fear tell you? She's going to cheat on you. Uh, these things happen, and it's just crazy, out of the blue, out of nowhere. Satan will attack your mind. He'll attack your spirit. He'll attack your body and sickness out of nowhere. Feeling great, go to the doctor, oh, you got cancer. Where'd that come from? He will attack you. Don't be surprised. When you're walking in God's favor, it's going to happen. So what do we do? Number two, when you're under attack, you must trust God in prayer. When you're under attack, you must trust God in prayer. Some people call these attacks the spirit of Jezebel. Some call it the spirit of Baal, which in ancient times was satanic worship. Some people call it oppression that may lead to possession. No matter what you call it, the battle and the attack is real. Satan will attack you physically. He'll attack your wealth. He'll attack your possessions. He'll attack your mental health. He's devious. He's perceptive. He knows your weakness. He knows your pride, your arrogance, your fears. He knows how the world has preconditioned you, so he knows where to attack. Don't blow it off as foolish talk. Preacher Jim's just going crazy today. Don't take it for granted. And Most of all, don't retreat. Do you remember Elijah? Tim reminded me of the story this week. <clears throat> Elijah was there with 450 prophets of Baal, and they were mocking Elijah, and they had a, a showdown. It was a wild, wild west. They were showing up, and, and, and 450 prophets of Baal were there to, to accuse Elijah. And Elijah, if you remember the story, had prayed that God would, would send uh, no rain for three and a half years. A famine would be across the land, and they were pretty ticked off at Elijah. Elijah, it's your fault that we can't eat. It's your fault that people are sacrificing their children and eating their children. Elijah, it's your fault. And they're coming to attack Elijah so Elijah sets up this um, sacrifice, and, and he says, all right, call upon your, your God. Have him, have him light this, this sacrifice, have him light this fire. And they couldn't do nothing, and they're, cutting, they're dancing around. They're cutting themselves, and they're crying out to Satan to do something, and Satan couldn't do it. And Elijah says, all right, build me up a big fire. Build it bigger than that. Build it up big. Let's take and let's pour gallons and gallons of water on it it's impossible to light now and elijah prays god sends down fire lights the sacrifice lights the fire and they all 450 of them just stand there blown away but what just happened and elijah in his strength kills 450 prophets of baal 450 satan priests. he kills them and the next day Ahab goes back and tells Jezebel what happened. And she says, I am going to kill him by the end of the night. If not, may my gods take my life. You let Elijah know I'm going to kill him. Here comes the bully. Elijah, I'm going to kill you. You know what's funny? 450 prophets of Baal he just killed. She says, boo, and he runs. Forty days and forty nights, he runs. He's scared to death. I don't know what you women, what power you have, but you scared the tar out of Elijah. And he runs. And he gets to a cave, and he's hiding out in the cave. And God shows up and says, Elijah, what you doing in there? And Elijah gives him his resume. Well, God, and he pulls out his resume. I have faithfully served you and I have done all this for you. And Jezebel and Ahab, they've killed all the prophets of Israel, and I'm the only one left. Woe is me. And he's doing the whole pity party with God. And God says, Elijah, come out of the, come out of the cave. I'm going to come visit you. And God sends this wind, and it's so strong, it's knocking down rocks. God's tearing down parts of the mountain, and God wasn't in the wind. And God sends an earthquake, and it shakes, and it crumbles, and it rolls, and God wasn't in the earthquake. And God sends fire down, and it's burning, and it's scaring him to death, but it's not in a fire. And then God whispers, Elijah. And Elijah, shaking in his boots, pulls his cover up over his head because the presence of God is, in his, is with him. And he's scared to death. And God asks him the same question he'd asked him before the, the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah pulls out his resume. Oh, in case God didn't hear me the first time. And he pulls out his resume. God, I have served you faithfully. Da, 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 da. And God says, All right, Elijah, go back. And when you go back, I want you to anoint this person king. I want you to anoint this person king. I want you to anoint Elisha and get him ready. I'm going to take you home. You can't handle this anymore. I'm going to get you out of here. (sighs) Spirit of Jezebel, satanic spirit, oppression, possession, whatever you want to call it, the attacks are real. And when it happens, we must do, number two, what Nehemiah did when you are under attack you must trust God in prayer you must trust him in prayer and Nehemiah in front of all his enemies in front of all the workers starts to pray this prayer and he says God these guys are speaking against you and they're ridiculing and making fun of your builders get them God that's the Jim Addy paraphrase Get them, God. Knock them out. Cut off their head. Kill them. Put them in captivity. (laughs) You ever pray that prayer when you're being bullied? God, strike them dead. Probably not his will. (laughs) Probably not in his plan. Maybe. Probably not in his plan. But he's praying, God, will you stop the oppression? God, will you stop the attack? God, will you give us strength to get through this battle? And God answers their prayer. And it says that they continue to work, and the wall was halfway completed. And just 28 days, roughly, they've got halfway through the wall. Amazing, guys. Amazing. But remember where they went when they were under attack? Remember where they went when they were scared? What would have happened if Elijah would have stopped right there, got down on his knees and prayed and said, God, please protect me. Don't let her kill me. What would have happened? Elijah wouldn't have had to do a 40-day track over and 40-day track back, right? 80-plus days of, of walking, running, scared to death, fear. You've been in fear for 80 days, 40 days, doesn't matter. You've been afraid, scared to death that something bad's going to happen. Why didn't he just stop and pray? It doesn't tell us anywhere along the way that he stopped and prayed. It tells us he stopped and God nourished him and replenished him, but he didn't pray. I'm telling you, when you come under attack, you got to stop and you got to pray. Nehemiah prayed in the beginning, fasting and praying for three months that God would open up the doors and give me favor. Nehemiah prayed before they started, and God's blessing it, and they're halfway through, and now comes the attack. What do you do? I'm going to quit. And go home. <laughs> made me mad. I'm taking my ball and go home. You ever, <laughs> ever have that happen when you're playing as a kid? What do you mean you're leaving? You made me mad. I wasn't down. You, you're lying. I'm going home. You take your ball and you go home. There ain't no going home. You're rebuilding the wall, man. You got God's favor. You got his resources. You got his authority. You got his protection. What are you doing running? Why are you scared? You don't understand. You're right, I don't. I started crying before we sang the second song. I don't know why. Kayla, stop that, by the way. You made me cry. <laughs> I don't know why. It just hits you. Get afraid that something terrible might happen to your family. I don't know why. It just hits you. Satan just attacks at the craziest times. Sorry, I'm excited, guys. We're seven minutes over, and I'm just, sorry. Number three, Ryan, throw it up there because I don't have it in my notes at all. The attacks will continue even during your success. The attacks will continue even during your success. Nehemiah prays. It says that they got halfway done with the wall, and all of a sudden the people say, Look at all the rubble, and I'm getting tired. Do you know when Satan attacks the most? When You're exhausted. When you're exhausted. <laughs> you ever come home from working overtime or working hard, it's been a rough week, and the wife says something or the husband says something, and all of a sudden, pew, World War III breaks out, and you don't even know what happened. You just asked if you wanted potatoes or pasta, and it just blew up like you should know what they wanted, right? Do you want steak or Chinese tonight, you should know what I want, whoa, what just happened, you ever been there, it only happens when you're exhausted, kid comes up and asks you an innocent question, can I have ravioli, no you ain't getting ravioli, you didn't clean up your toys, what are you talking about, oh mom's tired again, it's when you're exhausted that the attack comes, Wall is halfway built. Discouragement starts there in verse 10. The workers are getting tired. Satan's attacking. There's so much rubble. I'm going to close with this thought. You ever remodeled something? Remodeled a house or a project of some sort and you've remodeled it? And halfway through, someone comes over and they look at what you're doing and they go, huh, that's a mess. You know, the walls are still torn out. You got some of the studs up and some of the drywall hung, but it's still a mess. There's still trash all over the ground. There's still rubble everywhere, and they're going, dude, glad I'm not doing this. (laughs) This is a mess. Look, I'm telling you, when you're in the middle of the project, it looks like a mess. It takes a lot to finish it, right? The attack has happened, and they're in the middle of success. I mean, they're halfway through, for crying out loud, and yet... The attacks are still coming guys when you're doing God's will when his favor is upon you these things are going to happen don't be surprised and I'm not minimizing them if you're in the middle of that attack it is devastating the spiritual war that takes place serving God is devastating don't misunderstand I'm not mocking it or, or minimizing it But when Nehemiah prayed, it's because he trusted God to be God. And when you're in the middle of that and you're doing what God's called you to do, raising my family as a Christian family, tithing and the checkbook and the paycheck don't match, and I'm doing what God's told me to do, Pastor Jim, it's hard, I know. Pastor Jim, it's tough, I know. I'm not minimizing that, but do you trust him? And Nehemiah prays that prayer of trust, and God continues to be God. And when you're under attack, as you place your trust in him, he'll show up in amazing ways. I'm going to ask Pam, Amanda, and Kayla to come. Katie, you join them. Just because I don't say your name don't mean you don't come. Just get up there. Like I'm gonna tell you not to sing. When you're under attack, God will get you through. He'll get you through. It doesn't feel like it in a moment. And you need to make that call to your brother or sister in Christ and ask them to be with you. You need to reach out to those that can help you. You need to get on your knees in prayer. You you need to do all those things because it's real. But God will get you through. Let's pray, shall we? If you're here today and maybe you've committed your life to living for Christ, maybe it's just recent that God's really getting a hold of you and you're studying his word and you're trying to grow and you're praying And all of a sudden, now because you're following God, you're being attacked in the craziest ways. Bills are coming out of nowhere. Sickness is coming out of nowhere. Physical, verbal abuse is coming out of nowhere. And you don't even know what happened. You tick Satan off is what happened. But God's got you. And he's going to be with you. Just trust him. And in this moment, as you're thinking about this, would you just cry out to him in prayer and say, God, I I am not backing off of my commitment to follow you, but I'm scared and I need your presence. I need your strength. If that's where you are, you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Jim, pray for me. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Maybe you've been following God for a long time and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen the attacks, you've felt the attacks, and you understand what's going on. Would you just join your brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer, praying for one another, that God will be present in the middle of their attack, and that we will be unified as a body of believers as God delivers us and gets us through this time of favor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of Nehemiah. God, more than that, I thank you for your favor. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your love that gets us through those tough, tough times. Father, I ask and pray that for those that raise their hands that are going through this tough time, God, will you show up right now and give them peace and strength and what it takes to get through. Father, may you come against that spirit of, of Jezebel, of Satan, and deliver them right now, Father. And Father, for the rest of us as part of the body of Christ, we just join together agreeing with you, Father, that your will be done. Lord, that your will will be done in hearts and lives of this congregation, of these individuals, of these families, of this church family. Father, we ask and pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you could all please rise and join us in singing hymn number 117, Praise Him, Praise Him, verses 1 and 3.